You're listening to Seahawks Stories, taking you behind the scenes with your favorite current and former Seahawks. Russell play fake, drops back, going to throw it deep. Got a man. It's Metcalf. He's out there. Touchdown, Seahawks. Powered by Seahawks.com. Turbin in the backfield with Wilson who goes out of the shotgun. Look out, here comes the blitz. Russell steps up. Now he's got a scramble. Now he dumps it Turbin. Midfield, 45-40 down the near sideline, 30. 25, puts his head down. What a run by Turbin. He's all the way down to the Chargers 21-yard line. A 32-yard pickup. Now, here's your host, Super Bowl 48 champion, Robert Turbin. Here we go. We are back again with another episode of Seahawks Stories, and I'm here with a very special guest. I mean, I don't even know how to introduce this guy. You know, five-time Emmy Award winner, uh, 2019 uh, Hall of Fame inductee for the state of Washington. I mean, you seemingly are the face of the franchise of the Seattle Seahawks. I am joined by none other than Steve Rabel, the great Steve Rabel. How are we doing today? Turbo, I'm great. Uh, terrific. Thank you, considering all of the obstacles out there, the, the snow and and everything else. Uh, two things. First of all, you were a darn good football player, and it reminded me when uh, when we played that clip of, of the kind of hard runner and good receiver out of the backfield that you were. So I'll blow a little smoke for you, uh, for your way, uh, early on here. Uh, and, uh, and, and what a, a great, Oh, the other thing was the face of the franchise. If this ugly face is the, is the face of anything, um, then we're all in a, in a huge world of hurt, but thank you. And it's great to be here. And I, you know, I kind of, I'm a storyteller on radio uh, on Sundays and and uh, whenever else we get on there. So uh, I look forward to being able to just sit and chat with you for a while. Yeah, this show is all about, you know, sharing our stories, former and current Seahawks players coming on, sharing some of those, not those deep, dark secrets per se, but those uh, those stories you, you won't necessarily find in the media or read in the paper or find on the internet or anything like that. So it's uh, it's an honor to have you. I got to tell you, man, hearing your voice uh, during those play-by-plays, I mean, it's it's special, man. It's a it's it's really a special thing. It's like, I mean, just hearing that highlight in the beginning gets me juiced up <laughs> hearing your voice uh, behind it, man. So it's truly an honor uh, to have you here on the show with us today. You want to hear a great story about hearing my voice? So for what, 38 years, I worked at, uh, at Cairo television channel seven here in Seattle, uh, news anchor. So uh, I, 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 you know, five days a week, four newscasts a day, a huge newsroom full of people. Right. So one day, I don't know, it's probably 10 or 12 years ago now, but I walk into the newsroom on, on a Monday, uh, getting ready for all of our newscasts. And one of our, uh, female producers walked over to me and she said, I just went to my first Seahawks game yesterday. I think it was a win yesterday. And it was great fun. I had a great time. I said, oh, that's that's terrific. And she said, you know what was really spooky? She said, I went into the ladies' room. I sat down, and all of a sudden, I hear your voice. And she said, that was about as as discombobulating as anything that's ever happened to me. I said, well, I, I apologize. I hope it didn't obstruct anything. And now we move on with talking about the game. But so, yeah, sometimes the voice can kind of get you embarrassed a little bit. But, you know, what the heck? If people recognize it, uh, you know, that's great. And I've been so blessed to be here and be a part of it all these years. It's funny because it's like, 
you know, for me, the transition from being on the field and then getting into the broadcast booth and being in radio and stuff like that and at the stadium. And it's just like, no matter where you go, you're going to be able to hear Steve Rebels just so you can get an update on the game. So you know what's <laughs> going on. I, it, 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 it's really entertaining. Uh, but I want to go back a little bit because you grew up in Kentucky. Right. And, uh, you know, so when did football kind of begin for you? How did, how did that come about? How, how did it become part of your life? Well, it's interesting. Um, my father was a semi-pro baseball player. Uh, he played in the Red Sox organization a, a, a thousand years ago, obviously. Um, and so um, I, it, it would have been tough, I think, for me to have been a baseball player because you're kind of trying to compete with dad and, you know, he was a really good pitcher and, and all that. And I sort of liked, you know, growing up, I know you're going to find this hard to believe Turbo, but at one time there were only three TV stations. Nobody believes me when I say that, but there were only three TV stations, CBS, NBC, and ABC. And there was one football game on, on Sunday, a pro football game. And where I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, it was almost always the Packers because the Packers were the winningest team back in those days. So I watched the Packers, you know, I could really understand what I was watching starting when I was in about fourth grade. So from about 63, 1963 on, I was really loving football and I I loved watching it on TV. I loved hearing another name that you won't know, but a guy named Ray Scott, whenever you have a couple of minutes, uh, Google Ray Scott, uh, NFL broadcaster. And he was the quintessential television play-by-play guy remember as you know in television you're seeing the pictures so you don't have to overdo it like we do in radio right Right. ray scott would do this and broadcasting the the packers star dowler touchdown and that's all he had to say wow And, and i was so amazed by that because yes the pictures told the story but just the emphasis that ray scott put on things so Listening to him, watching the Packers, who were super, the first two Super Bowl champs uh, back in the uh, mid-60s, uh, for me was uh, the, the gateway to football. And, and as I've told people before, uh, I started playing when I was in fifth grade. And I was a little bit small, but I was always very quick, very fast. And um, I never minded hitting people. I never minded getting hit. So that was one of the things that I think, as you know, kind of separates you out pretty quickly. If you don't mind getting bashed around a little bit. And in those days, we did stupid things when we hit. We had two people just running into each other head first because nobody knew about head trauma and concussions and all that. So happily, we don't do that anymore. But that's how I got interested. And, And then because I was fast, I also ran track all the way through high school, all the way, well, grade school, high school, and all the way through college as well. Man, it's funny that, you know, what's interesting about this story is that football, you gravitated to football actually through a broadcaster first. Yes. Normally, it's a player, it's a, it's a team, right, or, 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 or a play that you saw that was like, wow, I want to do that, or I want to be like him someday. And, uh, and interestingly enough, it's, it was the broadcaster that originally got your attention 
watching the Green Bay Packers. Well, you know, and and watching them, that's how I got excited about watching guys like Jimmy Taylor, the fullback, the Hall of Fame fullback, or Paul Horning was one of their running backs for the Packers in those days, and he was from Louisville, and he went to an all-boys Catholic high school just as I did eventually. Uh, Bart Starr was my hero. So to be able to watch those guys and to see and listen to them it got me fired up about wanting to play. Uh, and then by the time I was in, like I say, what well, by the time I was in fifth grade, uh, I went and played, we called it gray. Y. it was YMCA uh, football league. And there were six teams and I was on the bears and uh, played with them for a couple of three years and then started playing in high school. And, and then we took off from there, but, but yeah, you know, you had to start someplace and um, we didn't have pro football, obviously in Louisville. So the closest we had, were the Packers or the Bears or uh, in the other direction. Let's see, the Bengals came in, but not until 68. Cleveland Browns just up the road from them. So those were the teams that were right around us that I could watch, and, and especially the, the Packers. Really interesting. I started playing football in the fifth grade, and I also played for a Pop Warner team, the Bears. Yeah. Yep. Oh, really? Yeah, I well, did. How about, yeah, how about did. that? I'm sure you were much better than I and I was I don't know I was I was all right but you know everybody everybody's pretty good at the pop warner level yeah where was that where was that that was in Fremont California okay yeah okay yeah so um but yeah so you start your you essentially you start your football career in the fifth grade play through high school Mm -hmm. and then you go to college at Georgia Tech right Right. Right. Uh, What went into that choice did you did you have some other options that you considered what went into going to Georgia Tech? Well, I did have a number of options. Uh, early on, uh, in, at the end of my junior year and through most of my senior year, Notre Dame was kind of on me. And, um, you know, what, what else could a young Catholic kid do in a Catholic boys' high school than go to Notre Dame? When I didn't go to Notre Dame, I think my grandmother disowned me. Uh, she just, she just had this, this, this idea that I should go up there to the, be a golden domer, but I didn't, you know, Notre Dame was a really good football team. And, and I was afraid I might get someplace where I wouldn't have a chance to play. I'd be just one of many guys that they had. So I kind of looked around for, for places that, that a, and and first and foremost, and I know you're not going to believe this, but first and foremost, for me, it was the education. Where can I go to get a quality education? Because somebody else is going to pay for it, which means my parents don't have to, which means they can now focus on my brother and two sisters. And so for me, that was the most important part because there was not a chance I was ever going to go beyond maybe playing college football, but I knew I could get a good education. So uh, I was, I was recruited by the university of Louisville and Lee Corso by Tulsa, some by Notre Dame, um, Tennessee was really kind of on me too. And I hated orange. So that took care of that one in a hurry. Um, but Georgia tech, two things, first of all, the school, the, the great education I knew I would get. And secondly, I don't know if you remember the name, you were probably young when he, in fact, you were very young when he was coaching, but a guy named Jerry Glanville, Jerry Glanville coached. He was the head coach with the Falcons for a while with the Oilers for a while but he was the linebackers coach at Georgia tech at the time. And he was the guy who recruited the Louisville area. And so he got me a teammate of mine, two guys the year before me, two guys at another all boys Catholic high school. And suddenly when I was a junior, we had five guys from Louisville starting for Georgia tech. 
uh, and defensive linemen, three offensive linemen, a wide receiver, a defensive back. So, you know, Jerry Glanville had, had a, a pretty good haul out of our area. And, uh, and he eventually went on to be an assistant coach with uh, the Lions for a time and then worked his way into becoming a head coach. And he was on TV, too. He was on he was the first or one of the first guys on the uh, the Showtime show, uh, NFL show on Showtime, whatever that's called these days. Yeah. Uh, he was one of the first guys on there uh, with Nick Bonacati. So uh, it was always fun. He was a great guy, a real great personality. And he threatened to kick my butt if I went anyplace else other than Georgia Tech. So that that kind of that kind of made the decision for me. <laughs> um, well, it's like I was going to that at Georgia Tech. Okay. Well, I want I want to tell you a quick story. So okay, at my high school, we ran the wishbone. We ran triple option. Goodness gracious! <laughs> I, there's way more between us than I ever had any idea. There's another thing in common between us. So I want to ask you about running the wishbone offense because you played wide receiver right uh, tight it well yeah but you go ahead and ask your question and i'll tell you how it all well how was it running the wishbone offense you know it, right well when i was recruited to georgia tech we ran a kind of a wide open um uh pro style offense uh-huh. and f- that's for my first two years and so you know here i am a wide receiver and i kind of grew my last year in high school so here i am almost uh six two uh, about 190 pounds, and I ran a, a 9-800 coming out of high school and Ooh. ran a 4-4-5 uh, when I first started college in the 40. Eventually, I ran a 4-3-5-40 my uh, junior year at, at Tech and a 9-500, uh, 100 yards, not 100 meters. And uh, so I was all set. I, you know, I, I was a flanker and a wide out, and I, I could do all those things. And um, after my sophomore year, our head coach, resigned you know he had a we had a good record but he resigned because he had some personal issues his his uh, unfortunately his wife was and family they said you're just spending too much time on football and this was a guy you know he was in his probably early 40s and he had spent his whole life as an assistant coach and he finally had this opportunity to be a head coach and now he was but he was a very he was a christian gentleman and, and a great family man and he said okay i'd i'm going to choose family over football you don't wow. hear of those stories very no, often. You don't, especially, I mean, even getting a head coaching job at your early, in your early 40s is exactly at that time was exactly really rare. Yeah. Um, uh, Bill Fulcher was his name, and he was a really good man, really good coach. So he resigns, and Georgia Tech, um, you know, they always liked as many schools did, but Georgia Tech especially had a, had a great um, history. You know, the, the man that the Heisman Trophy is named after coached at Georgia Tech, John Heisman. They had until about 1968, they had four head coaches going back to the turn of the century. So they, you know, they were guys that coached for 35 years at one school. John Heisman, Bill Alexander. Um, uh, uh, I forgot his name now, uh, who was the, ended up Bobby Dodd, who ended okay. up becoming the, the uh, uh, athletic director. So uh, they went out and said, we're going to find uh, a guy who went to Georgia Tech. And they chose Pepper Rogers. Now, Pepper Rogers had been the coach at Kansas, where he coached the wishbone. Then he went to UCLA and coached the wishbone. You know, the NCIS television show. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a guy named Mark Harmon who was on that show and has been forever. Yeah. Mark Harmon was their quarterback. He oh, was wow. a fabulous wishbone quarterback. Wow. And Pepper Rogers was the coach. So 
Tech went out and they offered Pepper, you know, a lot of money to leave UCLA because he became a real West Coast guy. And they offered him a lot of money, but he came back to his alma mater, Georgia Tech, and he brought the wishbone with him. So that's how my junior year, he brought the wishbone in. And so here I am trying to practice spring practice two days a week with the wishbone offense and run track at the same time. Right. And trying to learn this offense. And and we had a really good wide receiver named Jimmy Robinson, who ended up playing in the National Football League and then being a great coach at Green Bay and Atlanta and the New York Giants. Terrific wide receiver coach. So Pepper said, listen, we got to get you on the field. But Jimmy Robinson is a better wide receiver than you are. So can you bulk up a little bit? Because I want to put you in at tight end. And I said, well, OK. So I got up to uh, 205 and was still running fast. And they said, uh, OK. You're going to be the tight end. Jimmy is going to be the wide out. Uh, and then we've got, you know, the three backs back here in the wishbone. Right. And so that's what we did my junior year. And then my senior year, uh, we kind of worked it so that I would always flex. I was always on the right side. I'd be at tight end for about half the plays and I'm widen out for about half the plays. And the, I think the question was, how did I like the wishbone? You know what it did, Robert, uh, honest to God, it, it masked some of the deficiencies that I had. Uh, did you run you uh, you're fast enough you probably ran track certainly in high school everybody I, did. I didn't like yeah. track yeah I, I ran I ran track my first two years and it made you and it made you a faster football player it did 100 but what it also did for me as a guy who was six two six two and a half is it made me you know you come out of the starting blocks and then you raise up and you're kind of a straight up runner all you got to do was watch uh um, all those, all the great sprinters that we've seen over the last half a century, and you end up becoming more of a straight up runner. Well, pass receiver, you have to kind of be down, as you know, keep your arms in tight and you can't drop your arms. You have to, you know, chop quickly, chop your feet and get in and out of breaks. I wasn't good at that, but my speed and the fact that I could block from a tight end position, I played all the special teams and I could catch pretty much everything that was thrown to me and I could beat most of the defensive backs uh, made me, a, you know, kind of an advantage uh, for both Georgia Tech and eventually getting an opportunity to play in the league. So it, it, it actually was a plus for me, even though I can't remember, I think I caught 18 or 20 passes my senior year and was the leading receiver by a long shot. I was going to say, you probably didn't catch many passes in the wish. Right. But they averaged like 25 yards a catch because most of them were, you know, run, 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 throw. Yeah. And they were touchdowns. So it, it, it was, you know, it was, it was okay. I, I didn't mind it. And, and I figured, and I figured if anybody was going to draft me, which I didn't think anybody would, uh, that I, they'd teach me how to run pass routes. Yeah. So you have a great career at Georgia Tech. While you're there, you go through a coaching change, which is yep. something, you know, not a lot of people understand, man, can be, you can think of, you think about transferring. I mean, there's a lot that goes into when a new coach is, is being hired. Same thing happened to me. I went to Utah State 2007, 2008, and after 2008, Coach Brent Guy, who was the head coach, he was released. And, and I thought about going to Notre Dame. That was my dream school, actually. It's <laughs> funny enough that you mentioned it. <laughs> and uh, ultimately decided to stay. I'm not Catholic or anything either. <laughs> well, okay, that's only the first thing. I mean, that's the first <laughs> difference. Okay, Utah State and Georgia Tech. 
but uh man oh man if you married a gal named sharon uh then we're then this is really a coincidence right no i i haven't at least not yet okay when you you do if you get one like i did you'll be lucky good chances are there's still a chance we'll see we'll see (laughs) um but then you go and you get drafted in the second round to the seahawks which uh not only had a new coach but was a brand new franchise, yep. uh, an expansion team. Yep. Um, talk about what that experience was like for you. Uh, and, and, and obviously going to Seattle now, you're in the West Coast, being from Kentucky. Did you even know no. Seattle existed no. before, before no. then? Not at I all? thought it was probably a, a, a Phillips a gas station on the way to Alaska or China. I mean, I had, I had no idea. I'd never been west of the Mississippi. And, and to go back to the, the drafted part, uh, you know, again, I, I played pretty well my junior and senior year. I was all Southern Georgia tech was a Southern independent school before it became an ACC school. So I was all Southern independent first team and, and uh, uh, played a lot and I was invited to the senior bowl, but I couldn't go because I had torn my knee out. So there was another disadvantage for me, my second to last game, um, uh, a guy tried to run through me. I was blocking and he was trying to run through me to get to the running back who was eventually running for a touchdown. And uh, this guy just blew my knee out. So it blew out medial collateral ligament, cartilage, all that. And in those days, it wasn't like a little incision. It was one of those big zippers that they put on the inside of your knee. So I was through for my senior year, but I got back to where I could run track again by February. So I rehabbed like crazy from end of November through February. And I was running track again. And and, and so they sent scouts to check me out. And um, interestingly, and, and, and I, as, as I said, I ran a 4.35. And after my knee surgery, I ran a 4.4. So uh, it, it, the scouts were kind of looking at me saying, well, you know, there's, we have some physical things that we can work with here. He seems smart enough. He's at Georgia Tech. So he could probably learn whatever offenses. He plays all the special teams. He's, he's a blocker. He doesn't mind doing all those things. So the Seahawks were probably one of the teams that talked to me least mm-hmm. in that up in that time leading up to the draft. The Packers of all teams sent one of their guys down to uh, their one of their receivers who became a coach, Boyd Daller. Okay, that would have been a dream come true. Oh my God, my one of my heroes. Yeah. So he comes down and runs me through my paces and says, you know, yeah, you, 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 I can see the speed, but I can also see how you need to work. And, and Dowler was like six, five. So he could teach me how to run pass routes. And, uh, and he said, well, our head coach, and I knew who the head coach was, it was Bart Starr. So again, really? ultimate, ultimate hero was the head coach of yeah. the Packers. They want to see you. So we're going to fly you up to Green Bay and have our doctors check your knee. They did check my knee. They said it was okay. GM takes me down to the locker room where I am introduced to Coach Bart Starr. If if I had dropped dead in the parking lot after that, I'd go to heaven a happy man, my friend. Just to me- just to meet Bart Starr. I hear you on that one. <laughs> um, and and so we had lunch together. We talked, and he said, "Raves, this is or Steve, this is what I'm going to do." I'm going to draft you in the third round if you're there because we like you. We need a wide receiver. We think you can play for us. So I said, fabulous. I mean, I'd play for the team that was my team growing up. Oh, yeah. And as it turned out, the Seahawks, as an expansion team, had two bonus picks after the second round. Mm -hmm. 
So all the first round goes through, all the second round goes through. And then us and Tampa Bay were the two expansion teams that year had two bonus picks. So they chose a Sherman Smith out of Miami of Ohio running back who ended up becoming your coach. Yeah, coach and Smitty, they actually drafted him as a wide receiver because he was an option quarterback. He Uh was a great runner with the ball. So they figured the Seahawks did, well, we'll make him a wide receiver. And as soon as he came out here for the, our, our uh, rookie orientation, they took one look at this big guy with the long legs and said, no, you're now our tailback. And that, that ended that. And then they took me right after that as, as wide receiver. So I was gone and the Packers ended up taking a wide receiver, not until the fourth round, but um, you know, it was sort of, that's the way it happened. Like it's, it's, it's crazy because it's like your, your dream team. Yeah. And just told you, we're going to draft you for sure. Yeah. And for yeah. most guys, it's like, you know, man, getting drafted, you know, getting just getting drafted is is the right. greatest. You know, I mean, it's a it's a huge blessing. It's a great accomplishment. Was there any disappointment, honestly, when Seattle took you in a second, knowing one round later you were going to go to Green Bay? <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it, the, the thing that was interesting was in those days, 1976, the spring of 76, there were no big, there was no ESPN. There was no ESPN, let alone ESPN coverage of the draft. There was none of that. So uh, all I did was uh, I I had an agent who ended up, who turns out he was Pepper Rogers agent. That's how I got him. And, and um, he said, just sit at home by the phone. So I told all my professors on that day, whatever it was, a Thursday, I think, or a Friday, I'm not going to be into class today. I'm, I'm going to sit at home, listen by my rotary phone. There was no such thing as cell phones. Right. There was no such thing as computers. Nobody carried it on the radio to listen to. So my agent had an, uh, an AP, Associated Press, teletype in his office, and he was keeping track of the draft choices. So he's the one that saw me pop up as a bonus pick in the second round. And he got on the phone and called me and said, okay, uh, you have just been picked uh, as a bonus pick in the second round by the Seattle Seahawks. And my first, I'm holding the phone. My reaction is, oh, great. (laughs) And he said, are you kidding me? He said, second round, that's fabulous. I said, Seattle. I said, I've never heard of the Seahawks. He said, that's because it's their first year. (laughs) So, uh, but he said, this is going to be a great opportunity for you. They don't have a team. They're going to build around you young guys. And then I started to think about it. Thought, well, you know, hey, he's right. Uh, that, that actually is a good opportunity. With Green Bay, I'm, I'd be going to a team that not too many years ago was two-time Super Bowl champs. Right. So, so uh, it turned out that – and then a few minutes later, Jack Patera, the head coach, called me. And then the offensive coordinator called me, Jerry Rome, and said, okay, uh, we're, we're ready for you. And, um, you know, you're all going to be coming out here. You'll get a call from our football ops people. We're going to bring you all out in May. Uh, for our rookie orientation, get yourself, make sure you're in football shape because we're going to run you through your paces out here. And they, boy, they did, but yeah. And, and that's how I, that's how I found out. Uh, and then, you know, the, the rest is sort of history. I came out here and you know what? I've told this story too. My wife, Sharon and I were just talking about this the other day, how much the city of Seattle has changed. Even since you played here, the oh, yeah. the city looks so much different. But we'd come in, we came in, I had a taxi driver bringing me in on Highway 99. So you're kind of coming in the back way and you come down the hill after you've left the airport and you're winding around and suddenly the city appears 
and there's the sound out on the left. There's the city in front of you. And it was a pretty decent day, as I remember. And so you could see some mountains off in the distance. And there was the kingdom right in the foreground, right in the front at the very south edge of downtown. And I thought, wow, what a beautiful place this is. Um, and what a great, what a great opportunity it's going to be. And so we went in and, and had our two and a half days of practices at the stadium, uh, stayed at the four seasons downtown in well, Seattle. And, um, it, it just, it, it just couldn't have started any better, uh, for me. I, I, and as you said, a few minutes ago, I was, I was blessed. Well, you play for Seattle from 76 to eight. I mean, let's get into this because. There ain't much to get into, Turbo. There's not much to get into, buddy. (laughs) You're with Seattle, 76 to 81, right? After your career, you begin broadcasting, and and we'll get into some of these details here in a minute. You're 40 years with Cairo, or 38, you said, with Cairo TV, basically 40. 30 years as the the lead anchor. Uh, I I mean, you're the longest Seahawk ever. (laughs) <laughs> Seahawk always a Seahawk. You literally were there from the beginning. Did you ever imagine it playing out this way? No, no, absolutely not. Um, I knew I had a good education. I got my degree from Georgia Tech in the spring of 76 before I came out here. So I knew I could always fall back on that. And I had some ideas, you know, uh, business law, um, some sort of management position. I got my degree in industrial management at Georgia Tech. So okay. I knew I had my education. And so we get out here and, and pretty soon, you know, I, the first two years were kind of tough. We were two and 12, my rookie season. Uh, and I'll, I'll tell this story quickly uh, because I told you guys on the, on the uh, pregame show the other day when somebody said about, you know, how do you deal with losing all these games and, and what are you thinking and how do you as a player react? And I told the story about 1976 at the end of the season we went back to, it was either New York or Philadelphia. I don't remember which to play our last game of the season. And we were at that point, two and 11 uh, and very likely going to go two and 12. Right. So uh, we go back there. And in fact, we lose. And we're one of the, one of the guys, one of the veterans whose name I will not use, but one of the guys in the veteran allocation draft that week told me, Hey, rookie, whatever you do, don't go, don't push it. Don't go out and get yourself hurt. None of, it's not worth it. It's the last game of the season. You know, just just, you know, watch yourself, get through, stay away from, uh, you know, all that stuff. And I kind of thought, you know, I said, well, this guy's a pro. He's played for five or six years. He knows what he's talking about. But we went out there. We played. We lost. Coming back on the plane. um, Jack Patera had uh, the way he did things is all the players sat up in the front of the plane and the coaches sat in the very back. And so Jack was sitting on the in, in his seat. Uh, and he would send one of the, one of the ball, one of the ball guys up and tap us on the shoulder and brought us back one at a time. The young guys, first guy was Largent, I think second guy was Zorn. Um, Sherman was probably the third Smitty. Uh, I was fourth or fifth guy that he said, come on back. And so I sat down in the seat next to him and he said, Steve, and I, you know, I had an okay season. I didn't catch many passes. I caught an 80 yard touchdown pass against Minnesota. So I had a few catches. Uh, and I was on all the special teams and, and I backed up Largent and Zorn, both positions, flanker and wide out and played in the tight end slot too, when we went blue formation. So I could do all those things. He said, Steve, 
you know, it was an okay year for your rookie season. He said, we expected more out of everybody. And he said, me included being the coach, but he said, take a look up front. You see all those guys up there? I said, yes, sir. He said, most of those guys are not going to be here next year, but you will be. And the nucleus of this team will be. And so you have to start figuring out how you want this team to look next year, how we want to play next year, how successful we're going to be next year. And so in our second year, thanks in large measure to Largent and Zorn, we were the, we were, we won the, we won six games and our third year, we went nine and seven missed the playoffs by a game, I think, and were the winningest team in the first three years of Fran of a franchise ever in the history of the NFL. So he was right about that. He had put together a pretty good nucleus and we were having some good drafts and adding to it. And so that made it fun and made it exciting. And we played a, we played a fun brand of football. We threw the ball around the yard and Smitty ran like crazy. And I can tell you this, the year he got hurt, it was a tough year on us. Um, Oh man, he, he was so good and he was so smart and such a great, such a great person. And I, I, one of the things, and I know you, you think this too, one of the things I always remember is, yes, I, I can remember some of the games and I remember the, the joy of winning on a Sunday afternoon. But the thing I remember most are the people and the players and my former teammates of, of whom I still keep in very close touch. I see Zorn on a pretty regular basis. Sam Adkins, one of our backup quarterbacks. Um, you know, all, Jacob Green, I see him all the time. These guys are they're brothers to me and always will be. And that, that is the greatest gift that pro football. Well, the second greatest gift that pro football gave me. That's awesome. What's the first? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The first was, and it wasn't actually pro football that gave it to me, but this opportunity to be here in Seattle, we played the Raiders in 1978. I think we played them both years. We were in the AFC West in those years. So we played them twice a year for all, most all of my career. And it was either 78 or 79. We, we had beaten them here in Seattle. And this was at, at a time when the Raiders were really good. You know, John Madden was the coach. They, were, they had great teams. And um, we, we beat them here. And so we go to uh, Oakland to play them down there. And I, had caught, I caught a touchdown pass that game. I caught about two or three other passes. And... <clears throat> We're, we're coming down to the end of the game and we're trailing by, I want to say we're trailing by a, a couple of points and we're, we're trying to get into position to kick field goal to win the game. Uh, we call a, uh, I was lined up in the, in the slot as a tight end winged off the right side and we called a crossing route. We had a two layer route. Largent was running an in route behind me and I was running the underneath route. And if they jump me, Largent was going to pop open. I mean, you know, pretty simple. And um, so I, I can't see what the guys behind me are doing, the safeties or whatever, but I cross the middle and here comes the ball toward me. It's a little bit behind me and I start to reach back. Well, a guy named Jack Tatum was Jack the Tatum. safety for the Oakland Raiders. Now his nickname was assassin. And there was a reason for that. And he hit me in the ear hole. And the next thing I remember, I was standing on the sidelines with the, with the doctor and he was kind of saying, okay, what's your name? How many fingers am I holding up? I said, Tuesday. He said, okay, you're fine. So I got knocked completely unconscious by, by Jack Tatum. 
We ended up moving into field goal range. Efren Herrera kicks the game-winning field goal, and we go screaming off the field, and, and I have no idea why because I just got knocked unconscious. Wow. I, go, I go into the hospital that night after flying home with the team, and I got the wires all attached because they were, they were afraid I really had a bad concussion. Yeah. Turns out I was okay. I was, they saw that I was as dumb as they thought they were, and there was no issue with, with a brain injury. So they said, uh, okay, you can go home. And on Tuesdays, like you guys, Tuesdays, the player's day off, right? So Monday night was the night if you were going to go out and have a, a, an adult beverage or, or something with the boys, that's when you did it on Monday. I had agreed to go to a dinner party at a buddy of mine who uh, worked at a radio station, okay. not Cairo radio, but a different radio station. And he said, we want to have you over to dinner. I want you to meet my wife. Okay, great. So I didn't feel very good. And, you know, I had a bad headache and you know how, when you get a concussion, you're, you're sick at your stomach. But I said, well, I said, I'd go. So I'd go. It turned out there was one other single person invited to that. There were like 10 people at this dinner party and there was only one other single person. And it turned out that it was somebody they wanted me to meet a young lady. They wanted me to meet that, that young, that young lady has been my wife now for 40 years. Wow. So the greatest gift I got of coming to Seattle and playing football was meeting my bride and being married all these years. The second greatest gift is being a part of this organization that uh, treated us so well and, uh, and that has so many guys that love this team and come back to this team on a regular basis that we can see and talk to. And, um, it, it's, and uh, in a city that gave me an opportunity to get into broadcasting, which I'm sure we'll talk about. We'll talk about it in a second. I want to I want to ask one last thing about the expansion, though. Yeah. Because you know we talked about kind of your experience uh, as a player, but what was it like in the city? What was the vibe like? You know, were, were fans excited about the opportunity to have a team, and what were some of the challenges you guys faced uh, as a as a as an expansion team? Um, I, I, the best example I can give you is that uh, season tickets sold out literally 60,000 of in a matter of hours. Wow. So Kingdom was, was filled. Uh, the city was just crazy to get NFL football here. They had tried on a couple of different occasions and the, the league just didn't expand until they decided to expand. Mm -hmm. So, and you had to have the right group of people, you know, the, the Nordstrom family were the leaders of the group, but there were other uh, members of the, of the ownership group in those days. And, um, and the city was just beside itself crazy for football. And yeah, like I said, we went two and 12 that first year and you'd have never known it by the fans in the stands. The kingdom was always packed. They were always cheering. It was the loudest place in the league to play a football game. Uh, I don't know if you were, well, you wouldn't remember, but in the, it would have been in the early eighties. I retired in after the 81 season, about 83, 84. And it was so noisy in the kingdom. Uh, the league instituted a rule that if a quarterback stepped back from the line of scrimmage because he couldn't be heard by his offensive linemen or wide receivers, the home team would have a penalty thrown on him. A flag would be thrown on the home team for noise. And all that did was make the fans crazier. Right. <laughs> so uh, they, they just loved having the Seahawks here. And one of the great things about that was the opportunity that a guy like me had to get out in the community because any place that a Seahawk went 
to to make an appearance, uh, a grade school, uh, a Cub Scout troop, uh, a Rotary Club meeting. We had these opportunities and some of us did everything that we were asked to do. And then some, we were kind of go-to guys and mostly because I enjoyed it. And after my first couple of seasons, I started to get interested in media. And I thought, well, how best can I train except getting in, up in front of a group of people and talking uh, at luncheons and, and classroom visits and all that stuff. So it was a great opportunity. And, and the city was just really, everybody was up for that. Everybody was dying for that kind of stuff. So it, it, there were, it, it offered us opportunities in ways that we really didn't know when we first started. But as the years went on, it became apparent uh, that, yeah, this, this is a great place, uh, a great city, great fans, and, uh, and, a, and wonderful opportunity. It's kind of funny how some of those things that were going on in your time, you talk about the brotherhood with your teammates and you talk about the fans and how loud the kingdom, you know, was, and that has sustained even yeah. to today's football, you know, yeah. Central Link and now Lumen Field and, and stuff like that. Uh, it really, it, I mean, it's really, really great to, really great to hear. Um, I wanted to ask about, 1981. Okay. okay. That was your final year. Yep. Um, and I think you suffered an injury that year. Collapsed I, lung. From, I, exactly. Right? And, uh, and so did that play a part into your decision to retire? And <clears throat> what was the transition like for you? Um, you know, going, essentially leaving football and really stepping right into the broadcasting uh, world. Right. Well, it did have an effect. Yeah. Uh, it was in preseason uh, against the then St. Louis Cardinals. Um, and I, you know, how many times have you run an, an eight yard out route, you know, 10,000 yeah. times in your career. And on this particular occasion, uh, a guy hit me in the back just in the right spot. And then I rolled kind of flew off the field and the guy holding the down marker did not release the down marker. So I kind of bent the down marker flying into it. And, and I got up and I went back to the huddle and I was starting to have a tough time catching my breath. And I ran a couple of takeoff routes, clearing out routes, you know, down the sidelines. By this time, I'm really having a hell of a time breathing. And I come to the sidelines and the the trainers just, the trainer looked at me and he said, ah, you're just out of shape. And I said, no, Jimmy, I, I, something's wrong here. I, I said, it feels like somebody's stabbing me in my ribs. And he said, well, it sounds like a collapsed lung, but you can't have a collapsed lung. Well, sure enough, the doctor checked me over and he said, well, let's get him in, in the back and take a look. And they x-rayed and said, man, your lung is collapsed. I said, okay, great. So they take me to the hospital and, and that was the end of my season up until game eight. I had to miss the first, I went on IR. So I had to miss the first eight games. I came back, played the last eight, didn't do a whole lot. Um, uh, because they had a guy who ended up replacing me as a rookie that year in that third wide receiver spot. And his name was Paul Johns. Oh, and wow. you know, Paul from yeah. the organization, he's been there ever since as well. Yeah. And Paul yeah. was a terrific receiver and, and uh, punt returner and ended up having his career cut short by injury. Um, so, but, but, and a great guy and a great teammate. And so I came back and I played, but not a whole lot, but the, the, Good thing for me, Robert, was because in those first couple of three years, doing all those speaking engagements got me 
lots of interview opportunities on radio and television and with the newspaper guys. And pretty soon, by about my third and fourth year, some of the folks at Cairo Radio, you know, at one time, 710 ESPN was Cairo Radio AM, and that was all part of the Cairo umbrella. TV, radio, all was in one building. So they were, they were calling me and saying, hey, why don't you come down and co-host the Sportsline talk show on Saturday night with the guy who does it? And I said, great, I'd love to. So I came down and spent three hours with them on the air. Then in the offseason, they said, how would you like to come in and fill in on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday when he's going to be gone? Two hours of live radio sports talk. And it was the only sports talk show on the air at the time. And I said, man, I'd love to. Uh, I, you know, thinking that how tough can this be? Well, I learned pretty quickly that it was not the easiest thing in the world. I had to be prepared and all those things. And then the same thing happened on TV side. I started doing some commercials and got some opportunities and then was called say, Hey, would you come and fill in for this guy who does a half hour talk show five nights a week on TV over at channel five, we'd love to have you come down and do that. Or we'd love for you to fill in on the morning show, two hours, live TV, on channel five, come and do that. Uh, come and co-host telethons at channel seven. I mean, all these opportunities started coming uh, to me. And so I took every, every opportunity. And so by the time my 81 season was over and also uh, the last game of the season, I rolled my ankle on a kickoff coverage and ended up spending the holidays in a walking boot because I tore some ligaments in my ankle. So it was really a terrible year and a terrible way to finish. And so I, I started really looking closely at broadcasting. But by that late in that spring, we hired a coach just for getting everybody in shape. We didn't have one of those guys before. We didn't have a physical trainer guy. Now they have 12 of them. Well, yeah. we didn't have one. We had a trainer and, and then one of the assistant coaches would generally help out with that kind of stuff. This guy, his name was Joe Vitt. And Joe coached in the league for years in New Orleans and, and other places. Joe uh, killed us, absolutely killed us. And I was in the best shape of my life. So in June of 1982, uh, I'm all set to go to training camp, which started in early July, mid-July. And Sharon gets a phone call at, the, at our house. I'm in Spokane at a charity golf tournament. And it's Pete Gross, who is the play-by-play -play voice of the Seahawks. Now, Pete is the guy who had been there since day one, and now this is 1982. So he was the guy, and he, and, I, and he knew me because I had done radio work at the station, right? And so he called, and he says, Sharon, listen. The first thing he said was, you know, we know S Steve is never going to be Steve Largent. And I, I thought, well, great, Pete, thanks. That's, that's, that's a nice way to start the conversation. Right. Uh, he was right, of course, but uh, he said, but. And he can probably play another couple of years, but he, he could have a career in broadcasting because as of yesterday, meaning 1982, mm -hmm. we are, are the position of color analyst on the radio show, on the radio broadcast just opened up. And we think Steve could do that. And the backup sportscaster on TV, that job just opened up. Wow. And the five night a week magazine show on channel seven, Monday through Friday at seven o'clock just opened up the co-anchor of that show just opened up. Wow. And we think Steve could do all three of those jobs. There's only one catch. 
he's got to quit playing football. Yeah. So Sharon said, when do you need to know? And, uh, and he said, well, I'd like to know next week. And Sharon said, I'll have him there on Monday. (laughs) (laughs) So she made the decision for you. (laughs) Well, and you know, she told me all about the conversation and we sat down when I got back and talked about it. And it was really, there was really no, there was really no decision to be made. I mean, it was the, it was the smart move. Here right. I had an opportunity for a, a career, a lifetime career, as right. opposed to maybe playing a couple of more seasons right. in a diminished role because I knew Paul Johns was now moving into that that role as the, as the backup wide receiver. And as it turned out, a guy named Sam McCullum, who was this guy who started opposite Steve uh-huh. all those six years at, at wideout. He was the X, Steve was the Z, and I backed them both up. Uh, Sam... Um, as it turned out in 82 was released by the team as well. So if he got released, I knew my days were numbered. Right. And, and so as it turned out, uh, it was a good decision to go ahead and retire. So that was how, and literally within two weeks, I was working at Cairo. And uh, in 1982, I was on radio with the first, and in those days we had six preseason games. So I was on the air with the first preseason game. And then I was doing TV stories on the foot, on the team, as well as, on the Sonics and everything else that was sports in the city. And five nights a week, we, we tape the shows, but it was on five nights a week doing this magazine show. And that's how I started my TV career. And I did that all three of those jobs for the first four years I was at Cairo. And then the magazine show went away and I was made the um, anchor of the noon news, which was an hour long newscast at the time. And then uh, it continued to do sports. And then pretty soon it all evolved into news. And by 92, I was the main news anchor and was that until a year and a half ago. Wow. Wow, man. So, but, but hey, <laughs> Turbo, right place at the right time yeah, and, being, and, and being lucky that, that they gave me opportunities to do this. You know, they, they could have just said, hey, we're going to get some guy who's got uh, longer hair, honest to God, when I first started in the business, uh, I sounded like a, a Girl Scout. And and that's, and I don't mean to demean Girl Scouts, because they're fabulous. But right. my I you know, I kind of was like this. And I didn't know how to really talk. Right. And pretty soon, uh, when I reached puberty, uh, then everything started to get better. And I could I could speak a little bit, you know, more distinctly and be understood. And, and the voice kind of lent itself at that point to becoming more of a broadcaster. And, and that's where we are today. But, you know, it, it was, I, I just can't tell you how lucky I was to have all these opportunities. Honest to God. I mean, every day I say I'm blessed. Such an amazing journey, man. We, uh, that's an amazing journey, man. Um, we're about, we're about at our five to 10 minute mark. There's a couple questions that uh, I want to ask you though, before, you know, before sure. we end the show. Um, one of them said that you started as a color analyst before becoming the play-by-play. And I'm just curious, which, which do you like better? Did you like the, doing the color analyst or you like the play-by-play stuff better? I can tell you that when I started, I liked being the analyst because, you know, it's right up your alley. You're preparing like a guy who's preparing for the game. I knew that job. I knew all those things that those guys were doing out on the field. But, and I had the opportunity to move over to the, be the play-by-play guy in 2004 
Well, by that time, I had been also, as I said, the main news anchor at Cairo since 92. So, and I, I don't say this with any ego or anything, but I, I got pretty used to being the main guy when mm -hmm. I was anchoring the news. So uh, at, the, at that point uh, in football, I figured, you know, I don't have, I know how to do this job as analyst. There's only one other position that would be a, a step up. In, in the broadcast of a pro football game in the play-by-play, -play, and that is the play-by-play -play seat. And again, as luck would have it, the Seahawks had an opportunity to hire Warren Moon as the color analyst. Now, here was a guy who was going to go in, literally the following year went into the Hall of Fame, one of the great NFL quarterbacks of all time from the University of Washington. So uh, the Seahawks came to me. Mike Holmgren was the coach at that time, and and, and – of course, Mr. Allen was still the owner of the team and, and, um, and the general manager came and they, can you do this? We have this opportunity. Do you think you can do play by play? And I said, just give me a chance. And so I practiced, I, I had, uh, I went and sat in a room at, at the old Seahawks facility and they put game film up on the screen and I just worked at it. And wow. pretty soon preseason rolled around and we did the preseason games and they, they started to feel comfortable and then more and more. And once we got into the regular season and I had people, I talked to people who would listen and critique me and say, here's what, okay, try this. In fact, there was a guy here in the, in the radio market of Seattle, ask any old timer in this city who Pat O'Day was. Pat O'Day was one of the great, uh, uh, one of the great disc jockeys of all times. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland as a radio disc jockey. And he had, he sponsored concerts here. He and Jimi Hendrix were like, literally like this. And he, he virtually discovered Jimi Hendrix. Anyway, wow. Pat was a good friend and he did hydroplane races and all kinds of things on radio. And he would help critique me. And he's the one who said, after my first year, he said, you know, when you call a touchdown, why don't you extend that a little bit? Why don't you say touchdown Seahawks mm. and just kind of let it breathe wow. and let the fans kind of get that, that excitement. A that was a suggestion from him. That, that's and, and I've been doing it ever since. Oh. And, and it's now it's just part of my, I mean, in my DNA. Right. Yeah. Right. But one thing I always learned, I was always coachable. I mean, you know, just like a sponge. I learned from all the people that I worked with at Cairo Television. I learned from Pete Gross, listening to him, watching him, watching how he prepared. How did he call a game? How much fun he made the game? And that's the whole idea. And like the other day, um, you know, the loss to the Bears. My job is to find a way to make those exciting plays exciting and try not to get you know, disappointed as we all were in the outcome of the game. And it's tough to do because, you know, as a player and you know, all those guys that are playing and I know what they're trying to do. And I know Pete and their system. The last thing they want to do is go out there and lose a football game. Oh, and, and they're trying, they're busting their butts. And sometimes you, you don't win them. And this season has been a real rude awakening for fans and players and, and everybody alike that, you, you know, sometimes, you're, you're, you're going to have a season like this and you yeah. know, it's, it's time to kind of retool a little bit, regroup and, yeah. and find yourself next season. But again, so I got that opportunity and it's been a great blessing. And, and I, now I love it. Could I go back and be the analyst? I, I probably could, 
but I'd probably at this point say, you know, we'll let Turbo be the analyst and we'll let we'll let Big Ray do the play by play and I'll ride off into the sunset on my in my little wheelchair scooter. There you go. Or the other way around, because I think Ray probably does a good job analyzing the game. I think I do a good job, too, but I think I could bring some juice calling it. Would you like to do that? Would you like to do play by play? I would do that. I do play by play. Part of the only way you can do it is to work at it right now, you know, get opportunities and just, and just do it. And, and, uh, cause you know, I I mean, I, I, I know I'm not going to be doing this job forever. And there, there is something about having a former player do play by play in in my time, having done this now since 2004 is play by play. There are only three guys who were former players that moved from the analyst job into play by play. Uh, coincidentally, all three wide receivers. Okay. I don't know what that says. I don't know what that says about us, but uh, we're guys. <laughs> I guess we're always looking for attention. But Jimmy Cephalo in Miami. Okay. Uh, Dave Logan in Denver, and okay. myself. Wow. And so we all say the same things we when we talk, and that is that job as being the analyst was invaluable because it got us that opportunity to. I know I can carry the conversation. Yeah. during the live broadcast yeah. and i know football well enough that i can make i can make sense of what's happening on the field now the only question is can you translate that into um, phrasing and and verbiage that the listener a wants to listen to and b can follow you and c can excite them and get them so that they're just absolutely wanting to jump through the radio dial to be a part of that broadcast. And that's the fun part. And I, I have no doubt that you could do that. All right. Last question, even okay. though I have like 15 more really yeah. have about, sorry, I apologize. I once no, you wind no, me up, I get no, going. No, it's all good. It's all good. But I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about um, this. Cause you know, I, I want to ask about your, you know, best memory of Seattle, even though it's probably a tough question and, you know, things that you're most proud of, which is probably meeting your wife. Yeah, um, but, uh, and, you know, there's been so many different eras of football here in Seattle with Coach Patera and Coach Knox and Holmgren and Carroll. And, man, I would love to see, you know, you've seen it all, each one. And so to get your kind of your scope of what each era meant to the franchise would be great, but we'll save that one for another time. The question I want to ask you is, you've called three different Super Bowls. And so what did Super Bowl 48 the one that we won, uh, mean to you? I, I can't tell you, Turbo, how much that meant. Um, having been there from day one, to be a part of the organization that, and, and to be able then to sit up there in the press box and watch you guys play and be so dominant for the entire season. And then, uh, uh, again, through the playoffs, once you got past San Francisco, uh, right on uh, into the Super Bowl and just, just annihilate Denver. It, it was so so satisfying, so amazing, uh, so fulfilling to be a part of the organization and to know uh, all of the people that I have known over all these years that were also longtime members of, of the club, people like Gary Wright, who was so instrumental to me becoming a broadcaster and a play-by-play guy, Sandy Gregory, who I know you have done, you did charity stuff with and for, for so many years, she was part of the organization for, for over 30 years. Um, you know, there, there are just so many of those folks to win it 
and to have uh, John Nordstrom be there and be a part of it, who was yeah. one of the owners when I came on board in 76. Yeah. Uh, there were just so many of those, those folks. And in 48, is Super Bowl 48, to win it the way you did it, first of all, uh, and, and, and the, the, the huge satisfaction, the joy of being able to call a game. I'm often asked, what's your favorite call? Cause I've done so I've had, you know, I had beast quake, both beast quake runs that, yeah. as you know, but my favorite call of all time was, um, twelves. They're bringing the trophy home. You were Seahawks, Super Bowl 48 champions. One of the last things I said before the clock actually ticked down in New York that night, uh, my favorite call of all times, because it was the first and only call the only time that the Seahawks could ever say, we're Super Bowl champions on this night. So that meant a lot to me. And, and running a very close second to that was your parade a couple of days later mm. to be on one of those um, cars and what wagons, uh, duckmobile, yeah. and to ride through the streets. And we froze our butts off, as I remember. Yeah, but, cool. and, 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 um, um, what's his name? Uh, Beast mode. Marshawn refused to give me any of his Hennessy. So I, I, I knew I was going to, I knew I was going to just be freezing that day. So, but, <laughs> but the satisfaction of looking up those, and you know what you saw it looking up those side streets and yep. it was wall to wall people. And the best thing about it turbo was every age, every, you know, men, women, Every gender, every every race and creed and color, age group, all side by side, all there for one thing, to celebrate. Celebrate the city, the team, the championship. That meant so much because I'd been in Seattle for so long. And I, it, it really did my heart good to just look out and see all those people and what it meant to all of them. It, 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 to this day, it, it just it brings me uh, to a point uh, because it. it the title meant so much. And then, you know, the guys gave me a ring. They said, here, you, you deserve a ring. And I thought, no, I don't. But they said, no, you do. So here you go. So I got one, probably not quite as good as yours, but I got a, I got a ring out of it. And I, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a plus. So, you know, again, as I said, when we first started, I'm blessed and, uh, and lucky to be here and, and hope to be able to do it for a few more years. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm shooting for 50. I'm shooting for 50 years. That's a nice round number with the organization. This is 46 and nobody wants to end. Nobody wants to end it on a way this, this season has ended. So we want to come back and, and retool and get set for next year. And I, I love working with Pete uh, and, you know, Russ and the guys I've gotten to know so many young guys like yourself. It, it's just been a real treat. Awesome, man. Well, Steve, thanks so much for taking the time to hop on Seahawks stories and uh, you know, share your amazing journey with us, man. I, I, man, I feel so fulfilled just hearing all the things that you uh, went through and accomplished, and still doing. You know, and so I really appreciate it. Well, from a from a couple of guys, little leaguers for the Bears, who did right. not go to Notre Dame. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I appreciate it. In the fifth grade. Right. And. <laughs> and I, all I can tell you, uh, Turbo, is you, you've done a magnificent job. You, you, you really have taken to this. I'm proud of you. 
I would not have known that when you played that you that you'd be this good at it. But I'm I'm constantly amazed at all of you guys that step forward. You and Ray and Moyer's been doing it for years, and Brian Walters who came on board and does it. Uh, you know, uh, and Bump. I mean, I'm just so proud of all you guys, and you do a great job. And for those of us old broadcasters, uh, you make us. Uh, you, you know, we we have a lot of pride in you. So keep it up. Well, don't hesitate to share any advice with me, man. Nass, every week, he sends me a copy of the broadcast, and I'm always texting him to say, hey, what'd you think? And he's always giving me coaching points, man, and I and I really take I really take heed to those things. So, you know, I want to be the best that I can be. You know, good for you. Do, so. Good for you. And he's a good coach. So listen to him and keep after it, and you'll, you'll do anything you want to do in this business. All right. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that was another episode of Seahawk Stories. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. More episodes to come. Till next time, peace.